Are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stone? I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit? It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is, your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Talk about a buzzkill. Stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. Paid for by NHTSA. All right, all right, all right, all right. Welcome to the Let's Go Eat show. Hi, it's me, Bill. And uh, I'm recording this. Um, uh, just I just got off a flight, a plane a trip, trip from Chicago. Some of you might know that we, we meaning Radio from Hell, Carrie, Bill, and Gina, and our producer, Richie, we were all away in Chicago at a conference for um, radio people, specifically morning show people, and that was depressing enough. I'm I'm too fat, <laughs> and I'm tired, but I'm going to record this intro for the Let's Go Eat show anyway, because because Dylan Allred, no relation. I say that for his protection. Um, he uh, wants me to do it, and he's and he's pretty mean. He can be pretty mean. He's not he's not related to me, but he thinks because we have the same last name, then he can just do whatever the hell he wants. Anyway. Um, I'm going to record this uh, intro for the Let's Go Eat show, and I'm going to make it simple. If you like wine and you like really nice people, you should be listening to this episode of the Let's Go Eat show. Or if you've thought, I've drunk wine a little bit and I just don't see what people like about it, but maybe there's something to it, and, and I like really nice people, you should also be listening to this episode of the Let's Go Eat show. Because it's um, it's a guy uh, I met several years ago at Donovan's Steakhouse. He'll remind us of that in the interview. And he's one of the nicest people you will ever meet. And he knows a hell of a lot about wine. Uh, his name is Splishy Splashy Jimmy. Well, his name is Jimmy Santangelo. Uh, you'll find out in the interview why we call him Splishy Splashy Splishy Splashy Jimmy And you'll find out a hell of a lot about wine And how he got to be where he is And you'll find out a hell of a lot about The Wine Academy of Utah It's the Let's Go Eat show And um, I hope this is an acceptable intro Because that's all you're going to get Here we go, Jimmy Santangelo I'm not deafening you No, that's good It's been a long time since we've done this podcast I've well, forgotten how to well, do it. Well, it has. We took a, we've <laughs> taken a break, but what better way to come back to the Let's Go Eat show than to talk with Jimmy Santangelo, yeah. uh, the uh, proprietor, the headmaster, the, the wine man extraordinaire. And I always want to say it's the Utah Wine Academy, but it's the Wine Academy of Utah, isn't yes, it? Yes. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Bill, for having me here. It's always nice to run India and uh, uh, chat with you about food and beverage. So. And, and anything else, too, because you'll yeah. find that G- Jimmy... Uh, uh, we have a nickname for Jimmy, and I don't know if anybody else has ever called you this, but we always call you Splishy Splashy That's Jimmy. Right. <laughs> Splishy Splashy Jimmy. Well, there's a good story behind that. Well, I mean, the, the only story I know is that when you first said it to me. That's right. Is, yeah, and where we were at... Uh, Donovan's. Oh, that's right. Donovan's Steakhouse. That's where I first met you. That's right. And you, and, <laughs> and you say, well, I have a little Splishy Splashy of that. And I just like, God damn, that's charming. I love that. 
Um, well, you know, it, it, and that stems from being a Somali on the floor of restaurants from fine dining to even um, uh, more casual environments. Wine can be pretty intimidating. And uh, especially if you're the guy in the suit approaching, you're not mm-hmm. the waiter, you're not yeah. the manager, this other guy that's mm-hmm. only going to talk about wine. And uh, you have to make it approachable. You must have made a decision somewhere in your sommelier career to be, rather than to be the stuffy uh, sommelier, the, the, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, sir. I think what you might want to try is this. With a, you, uh, to be the personable guy, the kind of, an, uh, sort of casual, kind of an entertaining guy. Did yeah. you make that a conscious decision? Or? I actually did. And it kind of came naturally. I found that my style was far more approachable. And I stood out because my colleagues were uh, very serious. Yeah. They, they had all the points memorized. It reminded me growing up with hockey cards in Western New York, you know, when you had the little playing cards for the hockey players and you're like baseball cards and hockey cards. Hockey cards were my big thing Mm -hmm. with the shoe box and everything. And there was always that kid in the neighborhood who had all the stats, who knew everything. Mm -hmm. And I just liked, you know, the players and Mm -hmm. the, the, the charisma around it. And the cards are pretty. And the mm-hmm. cards are pretty. Yeah, yeah I like this color, and this yeah. one's mm-hmm. cool, and mm-hmm. this one's in 3D, and it mm-hmm. reflects. Um, and I found that that was more appealing to me, uh, the story of the winemaker, but also the experience that wine could bring to the table for the guests. Um, when I cut my teeth in this field over 22 years ago at Stein Erickson Lodge, that was when I first realized what wine can do. Um, seeing people bring in a special bottle to open for their grandchild that is now 22 years old, graduating college, mm-hmm. and that grandfather having such a big deal in a tradition. I grew up certainly with wine being an Italian Catholic family from Western New York, but our wine was out of a big jug, you know, and but, uh, <laughs> in juice glasses. But but at, the, but at the same time, you were drinking it when you were 10. That's right. <laughs> right? Yeah, my cousin Melanie and I, it was our job on Sundays after going to church. We'd have the big family dinner, macaroni, and, you know, spaghetti and sauce. And um, we would have to set up the juice glasses. There wasn't a wine glass with a stem on it. You no. know, these were all juice glasses. And we literally had the table. The kids' table was in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And um, we our responsibility was to splash a little wine in everybody's glass. But then in the kids' table we put just a little drop in and fill it up with water mm-hmm, it was right. pink but as we got older that water got a little darker in color <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> it's funny people don't you know you talk to people here in utah about kids drinking wine little little kids drinking wine and they just go what what but it's yeah. i've seen it i've seen it in europe i've seen it in you know in in certainly in 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 france where uh yeah you you put a little tiny bit of wine in the glass and yeah. then the rest of it's water that's right yeah because you want to get them started early. Right. Well, you got me started early. <laughs> yeah. I think you started me in, on wine at six. No, uh, no, that was bourbon at six. No, I just, I just no, all I, all I remember about giving you any kind of alcohol when you were a little baby, Dylan, was you said, I want to taste that beer. And I said, you don't really want to. And he, yes, I do. And so I gave you a sip of beer and you went... Yeah, God, why would anybody drink this? You know, it's like terrible. Uh, but uh, somehow you've managed to drink a lot of alcohol since you've become of age. I don't know. So, so yeah, but only since then. Yep. So, Jimmy, um, uh, being a sommelier, how were how did you stumble upon that? By the way, we should uh, mention we're recording this um, at uh, Trio 
in Cottonwood in Cottonwood Heights. That's right. Uh, there's this tree. I've not been to this one actually. I don't think. Oh yeah. Uh, but I, there's a trio uh, down on Ninth East, which is in my neighborhood. Ninth East and about sixth south, or yep. I think. That's kind of my that's my neighborhood trio. That's where I've always gone. And then there's I didn't even realize there was another one besides that. And that's your in Park City, right? Yeah. So we have the three locations. We've got the original in downtown Salt Lake, uh, approximately Ninth uh, East and Seventh South um, Cafe Trio downtown. We refer to it as. Then we have the Cottonwood location that we're recording. And then we have our third that we opened up last May at Kimball Junction in Park City, mm-hmm. right at the off ramp there. Right. And we're on the way to the outlets. So that's it's on that side. Sort of, I call it the McDonald's side. It's not in that red stone <laughs> yeah, new yeah. park neighborhood. Oh, okay. Bang a right at McDonald's, and then we're right there. Bang a right at McDonald's. And, and, then, we, <laughs> and then we're right across from a brand new Whole Foods. Uh, they dropped in a new a mixed retail space of uh, a restaurant, um, business uh, space, and then loft uh, residential up top. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they really developed that area on the other side of Kimball Junction. Are all the trios pretty much similar in the kind of uh, things on the menu? And Yes. Uh, all the menus complement one another about 90 95%. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there's those little, for example, at the Cafe Trio Park City, we provide lasagna, uh, nightly lasagna, um, as well as dinners to go, uh, things oh, like mm-hmm. that. Dinner yeah. for four to go for uh, mix because it's much more of a um, a seasonal environment. A lot of people traveling through. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, they may have the condo or townhouse with the kitchen, but you know, I've got to cook again. What's this vacation? I'm already cooking. You know, yeah. So we provide mm-hmm. that, and uh, the residents up there have received us very well. In fact, a lot of the folks that live up there are uh, customers down here. They may work down here, but live up there. So yeah, it's yeah. Nice that we're in their backyard. Well, now. it's so, it's al- it's always good food. Jim, there's a pretty serious food situation happening on the table. <laughs> maybe we ought to get to that before that table kind of goes crazy. You. Um, um, do you want to maybe choose one or two and we'll bring them over a couple at a time? That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. we can feature off of our um, our stone oven, perhaps the center, and yep, and then the pizza. So we have our rosemary flatbread. Oh, now this is my kids when we go to Trio. Always have to have the, the rosemary flatbread. Always have to have yeah, it. Yeah, the rosemary flatbread, great. What we do is we bake down the goat's milk, the roasted peppers, tomatoes, caramelized onions, mm-hmm. uh, season the flatbread that we make here. We roll out and uh, put in our 450-plus degree oven and bake that off. So it's a very, you know, Trio is all about family, sharing, um, uh, guests, enjoying not only the balance of the ambiance, the food, but also the service. And that's what Trio is about. That's mm-hmm. what Trio is about. There you go. See, I should have put a napkin in my lap. That's a good one. Yeah. Mm. This is our more popular um, uh, flatbread. We also have a trio flatbread as well as our Parmesan flatbread. The Parmesan flatbread is just the bread rolled out, touch of olive oil, the Parmesan cheese, and then we bake that off and slice it down into strips. Now, I'll warn you, Dylan, this is, this is goat cheese. Thank you. And Dylan's <laughs> not, a, not a big cheese fan. Not a big dairy guy. But, yeah. but we'll see. Um, and then the other flatbread that they do, that we do, is the Trio flatbread, and that's accompanied with a, uh, three tapenades. We do a nice chickpea puree, mm-hmm. uh, pesto puree, and then an olive tapenade. I like the olive tapenade. Yeah, that's great. It's and my it's just, favorite. And what's really nice about a lot of, they're very shareable. Um, they're intended uh, for everybody to enjoy, mm-hmm. uh, but it also gets the, it pairs really nice with wines and off the beverage menu. 
Let's, uh, well, let's talk about some of the wine here. Now, you've got three bottles of wine or, uh, and, uh, here at the table. and and But as we kind of get into that, what's the... I want to also explore the story behind why you became a sommelier, how that happened. Sure. I mean, you, uh, you growing up in uh, upstate New York, did you? Yes. Yeah. yeah, Buffalo, New York. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, you, you probably had a career as a longshoreman in mind, or a, you know, <laughs> right. or a hockey player. Or, or a hockey player, sure, yeah. Or a, or a logger. <laughs> my, um, my background, my family, um, I'm second generation Italian. Uh, so my grandfather came... Uh, from Italy, uh-huh. uh, we have his Ellis Island certificate framed. Yeah. Getting uh, really close to the microphone. You have he's the since there, uh, yeah. passed away, uh, but um, it's nice that um, my dad was first generation. I'm second, and growing up in a broken English speaking household, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the Italian household, and uh, food and family very predominant. My dad's uh, dad, my grandfather, passed away when my dad was going into eighth grade, mm. and he had to quit uh, going to school to support the family and work Mm -hmm. so that's a young age to have to take on that responsibility and my dad's a successful businessman what did he do he was a barber Mm -hmm. and he opened up hair salons we had multiple salon locations in buffalo new york and uh, all the way up to our own shampoo line the own product line Uh, i got into hair replacements he was highly motivated he was highly motivated and uh my mom had something to do with that Mm -hmm. so i had (laughs) you will be highly motivated That's right. Um, so, but I grew up in a uh, family-owned business, and um, a high degree of work ethic uh, was instilled. And you worked in the salons. I did. Mm-hmm. I uh, would on Tuesday nights. We had what was called class night. We would bring the uh, orphanages in and cut the kids' hairs, teaching the staff. And my dad would use those as training nights to improve his staff. Mm -hmm. And many of those staff members went on to still to this day have successful hair salons in Buffalo. Really? So it's really neat that, and he was okay with that. He was Mm -hmm. like, you know what? And I think that's where a degree of my, not combination of work ethic, but also educational perspective comes in. Mm-hmm. Was it with the salons called Santangelo's? Yeah, they were a Santangelo hair salon. Yeah, yeah and uh, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but you, but you didn't go into the hair business. I didn't. I was. Uh, um, I learned how to cut, and uh, I uh, used that while I was in college to. Um, uh, make some scratch yeah. while I was in, at school. You still cut? You cut your kids' hair? Uh, I color my daughter's hair. Uh, I don't cut anymore. I don't mm-hmm. have. I dropped the shears. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, you didn't I keep your the, skills up. I didn't keep them up, but I do color uh, my daughter's hair, and she loves it. Mm-hmm. She goes to uh, Salt Lake Performing Arts, the spa. Oh uh, yeah, uh, uh-huh. from yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so how did how did you become a sommelier? What did that? So my. Um, my story where it all began was one summer I got in a little bit of trouble so my dad uh, wanted to teach me a lesson and uh, uh, he said you know what it's been easy you've worked uh, only four days a week of your life every week in the salons I'm gonna get you so he picked up the phone and he called a friend of his uh, it was it was Jimmy Gugosa or Jimmy I forget the fellow's last name but Jimmy Gugosa for for until I remember it he had a hot dog stand and uh, he said, uh, Jimmy, my son, uh, I need him to work for you for the summer. And this was my summer before going to the senior year of high school. And uh, 
I worked the hot dog stand over the grill. Now, to put it into perspective, this is uh, Western New York. It's about 85 degrees outside and about 95 degrees humidity, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, so the last place you want to work is over a hot charcoal grill, rolling dogs. So uh, this was my first time ever dealing with that. I had worked with the public in the salons and things, mm-hmm. but this was different. And uh, uh, while I was rolling those dogs over the grill. Um, I noticed when people came into this restaurant, very small space, they would immediately, and the line would right away go out the door because you would order, you'd open the door, the counter was right there, the girl would ring you up, and then you'd walk down the counter, and you'd get your order, and you bill your order. Mm-hmm. So every time they walked in the door, they would look over, and they would, and I was like, what are they looking at me for? What am I doing wrong? Well, they weren't looking at me. They were looking at the grill, how many dogs were on. How long is their wait going to be? How long do they have to wait for their dog to get grilled? So as soon as I realized this, I took the, uh, you know, I, I took the chef tools and I would clank them back and forth to get their attention. And I would look over and point and I'd go, hey, what you want? What you got? What you want? What you got? How many dogs you want? And I found my voice there. And I was able to notice that it would lessen the anxiety of the guest coming in of like, oh man, how long you gotta wait? All of a sudden you got this wise guy kid on the grill barking at you, finding out what you want, and this banter between the customer and me began, and it would make it lively, it added value, and that was my first notice of hospitality, of those in-between moments of when somebody comes into a restaurant Basically, you come in, you sit, you eat, you pay, you leave. Yeah. But there's a lot of in-between moments there that I feel that we can fill with hospitality. And that was my first recognition of that. I think that's an interest, That's fascinating to me, the uh, combination of performance and food. I, you know, I was a, a performer. I've been a performer all my life, and I had many friends in New York uh, when I lived in Manhattan who were actors, but they were also waiters. Now, I never did that. I never was a waiter, but I always figured I'd be a pretty goddamn good waiter I bet you would. <laughs> because I could be entertaining while I was being a waiter. Right. You know, just 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 by being personable with people. Yeah, and kind of, and kind of, you know, or sometimes I'm sure you get people. You go, oh, they don't want to, they don't want a waiter to be personable with them. Just take the order and do it. But a lot of people, yeah. they like a little, they like a little conversation. They like a little flair. They like a little. No, they do. And I think the crossover with being a performer is that you appreciate and respect the art and the craft, and you realize that there's certain steps of service as being a waiter or a server. And that you can really appreciate and put passion into those steps of service. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it becomes much more of a sincere profession. And that's what I try to teach, teach uh, the kids today coming up and being a server. Uh, we're seeing lower and lower attrition rates. Naturally, people that come into the field, you know, I know I'm only going to see people in the restaurant that work for us uh, or servers. It's only about an 18-month gig, 36-month gig. They're in between something. They're in transition. But you're seeing that lesson and more and more people making this a profession. It's, uh, it's interesting. I was just thinking about this uh, restaurant. I just went to this restaurant, and you'll know it. And that's no problem in mentioning it, I'm sure. Went to Stone Ground. Oh, yeah. So now Bob McCarthy's place. I, I hadn't been to Stone Ground for a long time. And when I had been to it before, I mean, there was a pool table in it. Right. A long time ago. Pool yep. table. And it was a kind of a casual. Food was good, but it was just a casual place. Well, it's not that anymore. No. It's, uh, it's, a, it's I wouldn't say upscale because the, the, the food was not that expensive, but it was really good kind of, 
you could describe it better than I, but my point being, every single person, uh, every server had an act. Mm. They were, and I think it must be, okay, you're coming in here, who are you? Develop your persona as a server. Sure. You know, your costume, your... They got a good team there. Bob McCarthy's the owner. Justin Schifflitz, the head chef, formerly of the Metropolitan Restaurant many years ago. Oh, He's yeah. been there for quite a the while. The food was Justin, great, by the way. Fantastic. They got an excellent wine program. Perry Remedes, one of my mentors in the wine field here in mm-hmm. Utah, uh, runs that program. And you got Nick, who's the bartender there. Um, and uh, they do a really good job. They're all serious about what they do. And, uh, you know, when they arrive to work... Uh, they really, you know, they leave whatever's going on behind, and I think that's the key. You, you got to be in the moment. Yeah, I mean, these servers are not the the people who are just in it for eighteen months. These, you can tell, right. these servers are people. This is what they do. Yeah, this is their job. I mean, some of them will come and go, but this is their job, and they, they it's a better experience for the diner, and it's also they make more tips that way. Speaking of servers, should we have Spencer and grab the, us another thing? Sure. What else? May, what <laughs> else is going to? Who's Spencer? Let's Spencer is a, a assistant producer. Let's go eat show. He Associate is associate producer, co-executive producer. I had no idea. Co-executive producer. Yeah, he I had got no idea. A promotion. So there's a couple of small plates there: um, the cauliflower and the brisket. Oh, I love cauliflower. Is it roasted? Yeah. So we roast this little cumin um, and. Uh, little pepper, mm-hmm. some uh, micro herbs there. Yeah. And we also have uh, cilantro yogurt sauce. That's this reduction here. Yeah. Uh, mm. So very nice light delicate and, and dish in the summertime. Piquillo. Uh, and what we do there is a little bit of pine nut should be on there as well. Yep, so if I you see have them. a nut allergy. Um, but this is a real nice dish. You know, we it's a seasonal item. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a nice... A dish for the summertime on the patio goes great with some white wines. And what we feature here is an unoaked Chardonnay that I have here presented by Saracena Vineyards out of Mendocino, really North California. Now, Chardonnay is one of those grapes that is like a blank canvas to an artist is what Chardonnay is to a winemaker in that you can really take it in whatever direction you want. You can make it very colorful with some oak aging, or you can keep it nice and clean uh, by keeping it in stainless steel or maybe some concrete tanks and really keep that citrusy, raw, crunchy orchard fruit that Chardonnay can have in cooler climates mm-hmm. and unoaked, or you can have it nice and buttery and oaky, and this is an unoaked one. Unoaked. Um, Chardonnay simply is describes the grape. So Chardonnay is the grape varietal. That's right. Yeah. So other grape varietals such as Pinot Grigio or Sauvignon Blanc on the white side of wine. Mm-hmm. On the reds, your popular ones, uh, Pinot Noir, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon. And many times the grape varietal will appear on the label, such as it does with this one. Uh, and which then, one is this? And this is the one, uh, Saracena. Out of, Mend- out of Mendocino County. Okay. Uh, un- and it even says right on the label, unoaked. So it's really telling that's you this a one? style. Yeah, and that's that one. Can you get that? Take a sip of that. By the way, if you uh, go to Let's Go Eat Show on Facebook, and we'll have a photo album with pictures of the wine and the oh, foods great. on there. Excellent. And those peppers are just the right hot. Yeah. They're, yeah. Not, they're not too hot. They just leave a nice little burn on your tongue, but... Nice, and that uh, cilantro um, uh, yogurt is that contrast to really bring it down. Then you got that nice uh, texture of the of the cauliflower. 
That's great. That wine is great. Again, it's what is it called? Saracena? Mm-hmm. That's the winemaker, the producer. And uh, it's up there uh, in Northern California, and Chardonnay is the grape bridal. And what what would that bottle of Chardonnay cost? This is um, in the $20 range, under in the teens. This is a wine that we feature by the glass here mm-hmm. at Trio. Mm-hmm. And uh, we like to keep our wines seasonally appropriate. You'll always have a Chardonnay mm-hmm. on the list. Um, however, we like to have our unoak Chardonnay, and then one that has a touch of oak. So if you're a Chardonnay lover, you can have two or three different styles of Chardonnay to really pair and match your meal throughout the course. It used to be, this cauliflower is excellent, by the way. Very good. good. Um, it used to be that Chardonnay seemed to me it was always oaky. Yeah. It just Popular always. Popular style, yeah. Is that why? I mean, just you'd order a Chardonnay, you go, oh, it's oaky. And then it got to a certain point, and by oaky, it really, in fact, tastes like wooden oak barrels. Yeah, you, the the flavor profiles, the characteristics that you receive when you age a wine or soak a wine, if you will, in an oak barrel, you're drawing out the vanillins, uh, the vanilla, the coconut, the dill. Now, if you have an oak barrel, you can even fire toast it. And uh, so you actually apply flame to the inside of the barrel, those staves. So it looks like charcoal. You're like, what are you doing there? Mm-hmm. And you'll get a nice... Um, toastiness out of it as well now the newer the barrel the more emphasize those characteristics so you got to be real careful as a winemaker you're not going to do 100 percent of your wine in 100 percent new oak barrels you might do 20 percent of the barrel uh, of the wine uh in a new barrel and then you'll aggregate it down by saying okay now the rest of it's going to be in an uh, old oak barrel or a one-year-old oak barrel it's like a chef blending it together so this would not have been this this particular unoaked would not have been done in a barrel correct you didn't didn't stainless steel stainless steel or otherwise yeah it's it's really good it's um it's uh well i guess when you say seasonable season seasonal appropriate this is certainly something you would want to drink in the summer more often yeah you like your summer whites to be a little bit more citrusy Mm -hmm. um we call it higher in acidity so your Sauvignon Blancs that you might have from New Zealand are just great quenchers uh you're typically not eating as heavy foods Mm -hmm. uh in the summertime a a real uh rule of thumb when pairing food and wine you want the body style the perceived weight of the wine uh to match the weight of the food um so when we talk about perceived weight of wine we we call it light medium and full body um it's this be a medium bodied yeah this would be a medium bodied with some good acidity to it Mm. um so where did Jimmy Santangelo pick up all of this knowledge? You, so, you were grilling dogs, and then you decided to go yeah, into the hospita- <laughs> hospitality industry. So I came out here for college. Uh, I had an uncle out here, and I would continually visit him when I lived in uh, South Pasadena. I would visit Salt Lake, and I ended up wanting to continue my education in upper level, so I went to the U. Mm-hmm. And I moved out here. And it was at that time at the university was a quarterly system. So we had three semesters in the standard two semester year. So my schedule was going to change quite a bit. And I, uh, my uncle Pete said, Hey, why don't you go check out Steins? They, you know, work uh, at the restaurant. I'm like, the only restaurant experience I have is I was grilling Grilling dogs dogs so many years ago. So I went up there and I I got a job and, um, I, I lived down in Salt Lake. So it was great. I could escape Salt Lake, the college thing. And were you into skiing? 
and stuff into skiing but mm-hmm. i was so busy with school i wanted to really do well mm-hmm. and i owned a home so i had roommates mm-hmm. uh and i uh, went up there at steins and you know it really taught me it really applied um all my desires of, of hospitality, I drew on my hair salon experience, and I drew on all my experience in life. And I was only 24 at this time, 25. What were you majoring in in college, by the way? Behavioral sciences. Hmm, okay. um, I wanted to get into, um, as a uh, therapist and things like that, I mm-hmm. thought it was cheaper to become a therapist than to go to a therapist. <laughs> yeah. So I... <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good. <laughs> that 50-minute hour for myself. Yeah, that's you know. practical. <laughs> um, but, I, but at Stein's, really great training program, great food, and the guest experience. And that's when I saw the impact of what beverage can do, particularly wine, to, to a family, to an evening. Um, because, mind you, my red wine, slightly watered down, was my experience of yeah. wine and food just came hand in hand. I didn't realize there was all these different wines from all these different countries to go with all this different food. So you got fascinated with that. Got fascinated and, with and that. You, who, so how, who trained you? So uh, from there, I was a, I started to really get my chops going as a professional server and then moved to the Metropolitan Restaurant in Salt Lake. Down, right down across practically from, well, down just down west of squatters yeah it's now a different restaurant yeah, it's Volters. Volters. Yeah. yeah and uh karen olson was the owner there at that time the sure. olson family and uh five to ten course tasting menus uh, very formal and you're as good as your wine list um so after the 2002 olympics and and during uh, the Metropolitan Days and at Steins, we'd have tastings, wine tastings and things like that. But to be honest, it went in one ear and out the other. Um, and I was able to reflect what we had on the wine list quite effectively, but it stopped and started there. Um, when I relocated, when my wine shops really came about was when I relocated to Atlantic City, New Jersey, just after the 2002 Olympics. My wife and I had to relocate there mm-hmm. for a loan payback for her career. Mm-hmm. Um, we were planning on being there three. I say I had to do three to five in New Jersey and get let, got let out on good behavior. <laughs> no, wait a minute. You had to do a loan payback. <laughs> you, know, you, well, you didn't borrow money from the mob, did you? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, we got to move back to New Jersey. I'm in debt. <laughs> the vid. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but when we were there, uh, it was for her career, and I was scratching my head, what the heck am I going to do? I don't have any contacts here, but I noticed that in Atlantic City, there it's a casino town, and there's a big shiny one getting built called the Brigada, Brigada Hotel Casino and Spa, and that was uh, funded by MGM and Boyd Gaming out of Las Vegas. And the Brigada did to Atlantic City what the Mirage did to the Las Vegas Strip in the 80s. Mm-hmm. It hit the reset button. Mm-hmm. Everybody was like, oh, you can do that. Mm-hmm. So the Brigada was great success and I worked at the steakhouse there owned by the Sherry brothers they had a steakhouse in the meatpacking district in New York City called the Old Homestead and I worked for the Old Homestead in Atlantic City in the Brigada uh, flagship restaurant the steakhouse in the restaurant then we had the Italian restaurant then we had an Asian restaurant it's kind of how yeah. the, and there um, I took a class uh, by the American Somalia Association. It was a 14-week um, uh, wine class. We met every Monday for two hours. And it was by Andrew Bell of the ASA out of New York. And he came down, there was about 52 of us, 
and uh, all side by side. And we're like, oh, this is great. It was, it was expensive. It was like fourteen, eighteen hundred dollars to take this thing. So it was a big, a big nut to pay down. And uh, but it was going to be great because we're going to be you know, get this certification. So he comes in. I'll never forget. We're all excited. I'm sitting next to my buddies in the restaurant, some other people that we knew in the casino. And he came up and he says, "Listen up. I want you to look to your left and I want you to look to your right." Because half of you aren't going to be here at the end. And boy, did we get serious real quick. We were all like, oh my God, this isn't going to be some fun wine class. He was right too, wasn't he? He was. Um, only 18 of that number sat for the exam at the end. And only 12 of us were certified. And I was one so of them got it was serious. Yeah. I mean, it was a serious program. It was a serious program. Uh, the ASA, it's an amazing program. And uh, that's when I, I stood up straight and got it. And... Um, I noticed that I could take this knowledge to the floor of the restaurant and immediately I started getting asked to become a sommelier and other other outlets even outside the Brigada started getting job offers to become a broker and a rep and things like that and I realized that I I have a field in front of me here in an industry I can call home that's fascinating uh, to me that um, this profession you can be kind of like a hired gun Mm. You you do, you develop a good reputation. You're the gunslinger. You know you you got a good enough reputation. You go into a into the place and they say we we need a sommelier. Hey, what what was that guy's name that was the sommelier at that restaurant? That try right. and hire him away. See if he's interested. Like There's, a chef, you yeah. get the guy yeah, with the yeah. yeah yeah. So you can kind of uh, if you're good and have a good enough reputation, you can kind of pick and choose where you want to work and how you want to work it. Yeah, the Brigada did a great thing um, for me there to develop not only my skills, but to be able to have now a newfound knowledge and to share it. And there's a process there of sharing it, and I'm sure you can identify this by your um, acting passion and being in plays and things like that, where you learn you, you learn the script, but how do you communicate that to the audience? And Because right now it's just words, you know, and there's that stylistic approach. And that's where I began really honing that that style and becoming uh, not only a server but wanting to then really become a wine professional uh, in the floor of a restaurant two two quick questions please first one will you please pronounce that the word of your certification sure american sommelier sommelier yeah association sommelier and and what does sommelier mean the wine steward that's just all, that's all. There you go. Yeah. Sommelier. And it was founded by monks who uh, managed the wine cellars and mostly even on the front end of brewing beer and making wine. Uh, but then tasting and categorizing quality and knowing when to serve. If it was just a standard dinner, you're not going to grab the best stuff or the stuff that was aged. So there's this degree of um, qualifying mm-hmm. the, the wines in the cellars. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter how sophisticated they were or not. And then my second question, which of those foods? Which one we want to go for next? Let's, uh, uh, why don't you bring, yeah, those two there, the meatball app and then the bruschetta right here. Mm -hmm. This is a lot of fun. We do this each year, toasted toasted, um, bread here that we have with our mozzarella. And then we have a truffle artichoke. Uh, uh, spread there, and then arugula with a little lemon oil mm-hmm. drizzled on top. And this is like a ciabatta, or a- yeah, that's our um, yeah the toasted um, ciabatta. Mm-hmm. This um, 
uh, this looks fantastic. And now, what wine would you, of these three wines here, or I mean, any of these three wines that are on the table would go with any of this stuff, right? So the first two, mostly the red that we have, the Barbera, um, might be a little too tannic and uh, drying to accompany this, but the the rosato or the rosé that we have next i thought would really burst the fun flavors here of the artichoke and the truffle Mm -hmm. uh, as well as that lemon oil because yeah and you also have some fattiness there with the mozzarella so you need a little bit of both acidity and tannin Mm -hmm. uh, to cut into it but you could range from a savion blanc to a pinot grigio to the unoak chardonnay and I wanted to play around a little bit with the rosé on this one. Uh, now, the, r- the rosé is interesting to me. It, it's a wine that became, that was very, very popular in America. Yeah. Uh, for, in the 50s, 60s. Very, Matus rosé. Mm. Uh, it used to come in kind of a look like a crocker, piece of crockery. And it was very popular. And then it started being frowned upon because it was just this popular kind of Right, and it and I think rosé kind of fell out of favor for a long time. With yeah, it got replaced by a um, and a more off dry selection uh, called White Zinfandel, um, and that and the reason White Zinfandel came about is because <clears throat> Zinfandel is a grape varietal thrived in Central California, and it's an easy grape to grow in the heat, and it has great. It it uh, has a lot of sugar in the grape, so it, it's plump, it's juicy, it's got a lot of uh, high sugar. So when you when you crush that varietal, you end up with a higher alcohol. So they didn't want to make white Zinfandel uh, into this dark red high alcohol wine right. or a dark red sweet wine. You can't sell a red sweet wine. People weren't weren't getting that. So they decided to just do a light crush to extract a pink color off of the Zinfandel grape, uh, stop the fermentation process, re- remaining a bit of residual sugar. Uh, so what you end up with is a moderately alcoholed, uh, off dry or sweet pink wine, yeah. white Zinfandel. And that became really popular. But couple, yeah. am I, white Zinfandel seems like kind of a joke wine to me. You don't do it yet. Yeah, it's not as much anymore. Um, when, however, though, within the last five or six years, I mean, think a few years back going into the wine store, um, just the end cap or just four racks were mm-hmm. your rosé selections. You know, mm-hmm. now yeah. you got two aisles of it. And, and that, there's and some really wine. good, those sparkling uh, rosés. I think yeah. you're the one who... You know, I think you're the one who turned me on to a sparkling rosé. Good. Yeah, we, good. Oh. We, we've done, uh, uh, with the Wine Academy of Utah, we've done a lot of consumer events where introducing a flight of rosés, where it's rosé all day or whatever we might name the program or the event, and it's really featuring, and we always start with a rosé uh, brut, you know, mm-hmm. a sparkling rosé. Something dry. And- something dry. Uh, Fabre, uh, a French producer out of Burgundy, uh, prepares uh, 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 produces a um, a rosé brut uh, cremant and it's called a cremant because it's a sparkling wine in France but outside of the champagne growing region so you can't call it champagne because you're not in that expensive uh, area but uh, uh, so you'll have cremants out there and they provide a great value delicious product how often do you tour to wineries and do you 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 go to california a fair amount i would think but uh, you i assume you've been to 
the a lot of the wineries in Europe. I've gone through, um, you know, it, it's funny. I've not as much. I've traveled Europe uh, when I was younger a lot uh, with my family. But um, right now I focus a lot of my education in Europe uh, with Scotland. I take people on trips to Scotland. I'm a guide. Mm -hmm. uh, so I go through, I have a real passion of scotch and mm -hmm. of whiskey. Mm -hmm. um, here in the States, though, I just, this summer, I toured the Finger Lakes wine-growing region That's a, in uh, a, New York. Uh -huh. And there's a lot of great wineries there. Forge, Riesling, I did there, uh, as well as a, a number of others. American wines have become every bit as good as European wines, whereas at, at some point that was not true, right? I mean, That's right. In 1976 is when it all, the tasting of Paris is when it all turned. Um, you know, the California winery uh, was thriving in the late 1800s and early 1900s, but um, phylloxera, a little bug that came over from Europe, uh, kind of gave us a bump in the road. And then killed the, uh, killed the vines. Killed the vines. Uh, but as soon as we managed to get out of that, uh, prohibition occurred in the early 1920s. So uh, they converted a lot of the uh, vineyards into walnut groves, into orchards, almonds, almonds and uh, even just cattle grazing. Mm -hmm. uh, so a number of the wineries. But then as soon as 1933, uh, as soon as Prohibition finished, that's when you saw more of the modern names today that you see on the wines reestablished. Um, my my only knowledge of that this exists comes from Parks and Recreation. But uh, did you watch that show? <laughs> Periodically. The end when, uh, when he opens his restaurant. Anyway, there's an episode where April goes to a... Uh, they're trying to get certified as sommeliers. And then April goes to the competition and sabotages it. Anyway... <laughs> Are, are there sommelier competitions, and have you ever done one of those, and what was that like? So the, uh, becoming a sommelier, there's a few programs. Um, there's the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, or the WSCT, and that's becoming a master of wine. Then you have the Court of Sommeliers, which is uh, uh, where the, the movie Sam comes from and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I compare these two programs to... Um, skiing versus snowboarders uh you're mm. basically both up on the hill with something strapped to your feet going down a snowy uh aspect but clearly there's a difference in approach and technique and things like that um i have disciplines in both in addition to that asa i spoke of earlier um and i'm an instructor and i certify people in the wine and spirits education trust it's a bit more collegiate you get a textbook a study guide glassware there's different wines a powerpoint presentation eight-week program um where the court of sommeliers to put it in um i when i sat for my this was just the level two when i sat for the level two in denver um, you uh, go through three programs. It's written, blind tasting, and then what's called a mock service. Uh, where in front of a master sommelier, uh, you have to uh, perform. Um, so it starts at about uh, 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. and you have your two wines in front of you. You're blind tasting, so you have to sit and you have to just two liquids and glasses, and you have to rate them fairly accurately. Well, and uh, what are you? What are your? What are your criteria? There's a, uh, a format uh, so that you assess the site, the aromatics, uh, the, the, the flavors, the palate, and then a final conclusion. So you're really trying to narrow it right down to this is a, um, uh, a, a Pinot Noir from Northern California 
um, within one to three years of age on it. And you can do that by tasting it? Yeah, by sight, by aromatics, yeah. and you have to do the whole process. It's a very systematic. Did they ever, approach they ever try to roll, just roll you, a, a, you know, a, yeah. an eight ball? But you know, it's a, it's a jug. You know, it's a jug wine of a mixture Shit. from from Gallo. You know, they well, do that in an episode of Bob's Burgers. They're doing ah. a wine competition, and uh, his wife pours in the spit bucket wine. Mm. Oh my gosh! So when taking this in Denver, you know we're all—it's uh, just a, a group of people who don't know one another, mm-hmm. you know. And you're in this lobby waiting to go in to sit for the exam, and then take the written and everything, and then you get handed the piece of paper of when you have to come back and do your mock service. And the mock service is interesting. It's uh, four people generally, depending on the size of the group, and. Um, I had to go into my, uh, in, in the way that the idea of it is, is the master sommelier that you approach mock service. We as a group hold uh, sparkling wine service. You either do that or decanting a wine table side. Mm-hmm. So we all pulled uh, as a group uh, sparkling wine. And it begins where he's sitting at a table and you approach the table like you would. And it's pretend service. It's all make believe. Mm-hmm. And he has pieces of paper at the other chairs. It says male, female, female, because there's a way, you know, that you're mm-hmm. going to have to deal with that. And he begins it with asking you questions. Uh, the whole goal of his is to ask you questions to the level of your incompetence. So he's trying to weed you out. So you know, like I do with you all the time. <laughs> I was going to say that's a lot like your parenting style. Yeah. Yeah. It, it usually is one round. That's um, exactly right. how I parent. <laughs> one round of questions for most of us all red kids. Taps out. Yeah. That's it. That's it, Dad. I'm out. Yeah. Uh, it's that's fascinating stuff. It's to me, it's because you know, it's. I think people assume it's a joke sometimes when a when a, a wine expert or a sommelier, you know, takes a sip of wine and they go, mm-hmm. hmm, this is a Northern California. <laughs> well, and that's what I... Of it, and it's, uh, I'm getting notes of leather, <laughs> tobacco, uh, I'm getting notes of uh, horsehair, and this is from the... Mouvedre, you just described Mouvedre. <laughs> 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 and um, this is from that. This it was a horse <laughs> This is from Mouvedre, the Mouvedre wineries. The, the, no, yeah, the Mouvedre grape yeah, uh, is very much like what you just. <laughs> and, and, and people, people think, oh, come on, that's bullshit, right? But right. it's oh, there's licorice in there, and I mean, but you can do that. Well, I think we're, we're coming full circle of where in my career I had to decide. We have two types of sommeliers on the floor of a restaurant. The one that will be, oh, yes, yes, have you, have you been? Does anybody use those little silver uh, uh, cups test around of there? Testavines, no longer, what are they no called? longer. Testavines, testavines. Little, yeah. uh, little silver cup you wear on a chain, the sommelier wears on a chain around his neck so mm-hmm. that he can taste the wine before yeah. you do, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't, yeah. you don't taste the wine before people. <laughs> what are what are those? So there? these this is a classic of Cafe Trio. This is our Trio polenta? meatball uh, appetizer with creamy polenta, oh. uh, all made here on premise. Mm-hmm. Our meatball is a blend of various meats. We go through Wasatch meats. We have them prepare the meat to our grade, but then we season here on premise, mm-hmm. making the meatballs. Um, we've gone through, it, it was a lot of fun. Some guests, uh, I know they're a, a fan of us when they say, hey, this used to be one big meatball, remember? Uh, we used oh, to yeah. have it, yeah, as, yeah. as one large meatball. And it's the same amount, but we feel that the flavors come through a little bit more um, with this single, mm. uh, rather than the single, the three. But, it, but it's all styles. 
And then this would be the... Um, this is a fun wine. Um, I, I got this wine. Uh, this is by a great producer. Um, this is a Barbera a grape varietal, and it's from Piedmont. It is the wine-growing region in Italy. And Italy... Uh, names their wines uh, on the label by either the grape varietal or the place it's from. This is uh, Piedmont is the region. Barbera is the grape varietal. In Piedmont, this is where you'll also find another grape varietal called Dolcetto and another grape varietal called Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo, though, when grown within the boundaries of both Barolo and Barbaresco, they put Barolo and Barbaresco on the label. And now that becomes a bit more, um, more laws are applied, uh, yields, alcohol percents, aging in both barrel and bottle, uh, things of that nature. Um, this, uh, so this would be, this would be a, a kind of like a, a wine, a, compare it to a wine that people are a little more familiar with, like a Pinot maybe? I would say it's a Pinot Noir with an attitude. You know, it has that little bit uh, spicier, a little bit drier, a little bit more acidity on the sides. We usually yeah. don't talk about acid in red wines, yeah, but yeah. in Italian and Spanish wines, we do. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a factor. Yeah. Uh, and in this Barbera, it's kind of this tart cherry, tart raspberry thing going on with it. Yeah, yeah. and when you when you describe that, it does cut, it starts to come through and you taste that. And um, it's, um, but I can still taste fruit. And that's one of my, the thing, I don't, there are certain wines that I just don't like because they are, they seem so far removed from any kind of fruit. Right. You know, they're, they're so tannic. And Usually those wines need a bit of uh, saltier fattiness to go with it. So for example, if you taste this wine on its own, it's much more of a tannic structure. This one. Yes. If you taste now that meatball, Chew, chew, chew. You get your, your mouth okay. coated. Now you taste it, and yeah. all of a sudden, the mm -hmm. tannins are dissolved with the salty, fatty, good fatty proteins of the meat, and the fruit really comes through. You're absolutely right. Some wines are very much food wines, mm -hmm. such as Italian wines. Italian wines aren't the ones that you're going to have out on the back patio. That's why you need mm -hmm. a little antipasta. You need a little meats. You need a little cheese. You need something to go against it, and it really softens those tannins. So do you want to um, – we've tasted the three wines. Do you want to rate them? Which one's your favorite? Oh. Leech, well, or one, two, and three? Well, they're so different, though. Well, because it's interesting. I know. That's why it's a th fun – uh, I, I usually, when I buy a bottle of wine, will get a Cabernet. I like dark red, dry. Sure. Is yeah. that accurate word to use for that kind of wine? Yep. Dry red wines. Good. But today, I think the first one we tried. Um, the Saracena on Oak Shard. Yeah. The white was my favorite of the three. Oh, it was yeah. really good. It was, it was refreshing. Well, it, it also might have been your first wine of the morning, I'm assuming. So, no. You know. <laughs> we get up at three. <laughs> yeah. This is, about, uh, this is uh, time. This is no. late in the day. Yeah, don't assume, Jimmy. <laughs> well, normally, normally, alcohol gets better the more you drink. But um, it was anyway, that was just really cool. To, cool, yeah. Because I've always kind of been mm. like, eh, don't even give me rosé or white wine. You know, I find um, 
when I'm on the floor of a restaurant and interacting with guests, uh, uh, someone who's been a longtime wine drinker, they'll say, you know, it's weird. I've, I've had California reds. I've had, I got a deep cell. I have hundreds of bottles of wine in my cellar. All I, I've loved the big red jammy tannic wines from all over the world. Now I'm into white wines. What's going on? And I say, your palate's so, so sensitized. You've been battling all those tannins for so many years, trying to break through to taste that fruit and character that here in whites, especially say white burgundy, a Puini Monroche, a Chardonnay that has a touch of barrel fermentation, all that character's right there in front of you and their palates just appreciate it. And it's really neat to see that uh, a lot of um, people are enjoying the broad range of wines available to us. There's like nothing before. that can beat a, 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 a chilled, pretty chilled Sauvignon Blanc on a hot summer day. Yeah. Uh, and, you, and you don't even have to have food with it or maybe just a little, maybe some nuts or something. Uh, right. And, and, yeah. and, and, and just to taste that wine while you're looking out over the your backyard or something. And, it's great. And it's, you're, sort of, you're sort of drinking... The environment that you're in in a way yeah, you know it really I mean? reflects yeah the sunny the sunshine the vegetation around you everything's fresh and you can taste that now obviously the wine was the grapes were not grown in your backyard but all of a sudden it becomes part of your backyard or a part of your uh, you know because Sauvignon Blancs can have a little grass flavor to them yeah or, the grassiness yeah. and the hay mm. and the bell pepper mm. that was beautiful <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I that, that was I was, that was a nice. poetic there. So, Jimmy, um, <laughs> when um, so all of this knowledge that you have is just it, it it's staggering. Um, what? So you do the Wine Academy of Utah, and. Uh, that's not just for people who are interested in becoming professionals, right? That's right. We have a variety of programs for both the consumer or the wine enthusiast as well as the professional. Uh, the professional track, we offer level one and level two award in wines and spirits. It's in, uh, The Wine Academy is what's called an approved program provider with the Wine and Spirits Education Trust out of the London, UK, out of London mm -hmm. in the UK. And um, we certify people. Uh, on those various levels in that you receive a lapel pin and a printed certificate and it's very important not only it's it's one of the few things you can do in the hospitality field to progress your knowledge and to show your expertise in something so I'm really proud to be able to bring that to um, our community here in Salt Lake and our surrounding community the consumer events are so much fun the consumer events are great we provide not only wine tastings uh, at locations such as Gallivan Center in downtown Salt Lake, all the way up to wine dinners at the Leonardo Museum, uh, where we do five course tasting menus, as well as other locations around town. Uh, we provide these consumer events, it's all themed each month, and it keeps it fun, it, even for myself, because it adds an element of entertainment, edutainment, yeah, educational entertainment, where when I'm teaching the certifications it's pretty much right you know you got to be very specific very serious uh, we keep it light and fun and friendly but still you're down to business um, and the consumer events are, are great fun now if people so when uh, what's your website for the wine academy of utah.com as simple as that 
<clears throat> do you uh, eat, maybe people aren't ready for any of that, but they just want to know more. Uh, do you do stuff like a, with a newsletter or anything or something? We do. We have uh, on a monthly basis. I always um, social media is huge right now. Social media naturally, whether it's Facebook or. Uh, Instagram or Twitter uh, we really keep uh, the public as um, involved as possible and educated as much as possible second thing that we just launched that you might find interesting is we partnered with Airbnb in a program called Airbnb experience and the experience I'm providing I was contacted by the Visitors Bureau here in Utah the building across from the state capitol and the email was uh, Mr. Santangelo, please contact us at your earliest convenience. And I'm going, oh, crap, what did I do? <laughs> did I forget to pay my taxes? <laughs> what or? did I do now? <laughs> so <laughs> so usually I get those emails by my wife, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but I gave uh, Emily a call up there, and I'm like, hi, this is Jim Stangelo. And she's like, oh, Jimmy, how you doing? I've been to your classes. Come on in. So she brings me up to speed on this Airbnb experience. And uh, what it is is when you travel to to your communities you're familiar with airbnb you sure, can stay yeah. at somebody's place but this is now you can also enjoy an experience so what i'm doing is called a whiskey walk slc and we do a whiskey walk at downtown salt lake it's a 45 oh minute tour i know it's yeah. gonna be great yeah. you, we'll, we'll do we it. are there yeah. yeah we'll do it for sure yeah so we do a 45 minute walk learning the history of salt lake down we start at my office at third and first and we walk right down to main street um, learning the history along the way, walk up Main Street, a little bit behind Commerce Ave or the old red light district, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, go through Gallivan Center and then back up on Main Street. And then boom, we're right at either Whiskey Street or White Horse, and we have a flight of local spirits um, to be able to uh, feature. So it's been, I've, I've done uh, half a dozen of these so far. I just started last week, uh, this month of um, uh, July, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it's been great. It's uh, it's a it's a wide field uh, spirits. We could do another whole show on spirits because uh, God knows I love my bourbon. I'm well, just thinking of that bottle of Old Forester at home right now. Well, if now. you want to grab those two bags on that table for us, I have uh, two gifts for you as a, oh. as uh, oh. and I can feature their two um, styles. And uh, thank you. And this is a wine. Um, this is a wine by Trina Four and uh, the producer. Uh, McGregor is the winemaker. He's from Toronto, so I really identify with him. He's a great guy. And the grape varietal is called Petite Syrah. And I've had that variety. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I identified this bottle with you, Bill. Uh, tough exterior, but a juicy center. <laughs> oh, isn't that nice? You're giving away my secrets. You're giving away your secrets. So you enjoy this mm -hmm. uh, with with your wife. And this... What should he eat with it? Something grilled, something big, bigger the better. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is for you, Dylan, because this is a local spirit, and it's called Sugar House Whiskey, and it's a yeah. malt whiskey. It's a James... Um, What's his name who runs the uh, distillery? James. I know who you're talking about. It's on the tip of my tongue, and I apologize. I don't recall it. Uh, but they're a great group of guys. Yeah, I've had this. This is great good. Great group of guys. Wow. And, what, and what I like about this is that uh, it's local, yeah. um, and it's full of character, and it's not afraid to be what it is. And I, and I uh, really thought that would identify with you as well. Oh. Jimmy, thanks so much. You're welcome. Uh, I want to make sure that people know... Um, 
Wine Academy of Utah. Yeah. WineAcademyofUtah.com. Uh, Trio Restaurants. Cottonwood. There, there are th- uh, Cottonwood downtown on 9th East and uh, one in Park City, uh, Kimball Junction. Yep. On the McDonald's side. <laughs> Don't go over into that Redstone side. Don't it's, do that. No. Bang a right. Bang yeah. a right. Yeah, bang a right. <laughs> and you'll see the Cottonwood uh, uh, right. or the trio there. And uh, but, but please check out the um, Wine Academy of Utah. And uh, there's a website. And a, uh, yep. did, I mean, uh, did you say there's a newsletter? Do you do a newsletter? I, you know, it's mostly through social media. Yeah, I, I, okay. I have Follow done. Follow them on yeah. all the places. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get we'll get to you, uh, and we'll get you doing your own podcast about wine and spirits. Too. Sounds great. I love For it. For sure. You got it. Always a pleasure, Mr. Sanchangelo. Thank you, Bill. All right. Thank you, Dylan. That's it. Thanks, mm-hmm. Dylan, for producing the show. My pleasure. Thanks to uh, Spencer for being the uh, newly... newly executive no, producer. He's, he, no, he's the, he's the uh, unindicted he's our, co-conspirator. He's our security. The unindicted <laughs> co-conspirator of uh, the Let's Go Eat show. I'm Bill Allred. Remember, when you're pouring drinks, always make mine a double. <laughs> <laughs>